Hello and welcome to the King Hero IndyCar Podcast with Kirby and Justin. Kirby, how are you? Doing well, Justin. How about yourself? Well, I think I'm stretching the limits of how I can vary the uh, the uh, intro to the show. Yeah, I, I think I'd cross that one off your list for future reference. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Uh, Kirby, um, interesting episode today. Uh, we are interviewing uh, for the second time, unprecedented in this podcast, uh, Jack Benyon of The Race. Um, and, the Race.com. Uh, look, of The Race. The Dash race.com and i think uh uh looking forward to having that conversation what about you uh me too i think uh i really enjoyed talking with him last year and uh following his work on the race.com and uh it's good to have uh, a european perspective an outsider's so-called uh or at least a new voice um following and commenting on indycar and uh all right well without further ado let's uh have our interview with jack he must feel like a king i would think curb being uh, the privilege of being invited the second time, the first person to be invited second time for an interview on the show, wouldn't you think? Quite the honor for Jack, I'm sure. He's... Jack can pretty much drop the mic at this point in his life, I would think. Christmas has arrived early for me. Yeah, it's the, the highlight of my career. Yeah, so um, we are interviewing Jack Benyon of The Race, uh, therace.com, the-race.com. Do I have that right, Jack? That is correct. Well done. Yeah. Jack, uh, first of all, thanks for showing up, and uh, how are you? No, I'm good, I'm good, and thanks for, for having me back on. It's an honor to be, the, I think, the first repeat guest for, for you guys, and looking forward to uh, having a bit of fun about the uh, 2022 IndyCar season. What's happening there at the race? I guess it's been uh, quite a, a while since I spoke to you last, probably 2020, wasn't it? Last time I spoke to you, just after we'd uh, just started, well, we'd started the company in the middle of a, a global pandemic, which, exactly. as people can imagine, is probably not the best time to start a company. But luckily, we've gone from from strength to strength at the race. The the Formula One side of things is is really, really positive, really strong there. And we've got uh, WTF1 doing a, a great job on the, the kind of social aspect of things, as well as the races kind of in-depth sort of analysis and uh, content. So, yeah, we've got a, quite a nice fine balance at the moment between doing some of the more hard hitting analysis type stuff and, and doing some of the more lighthearted side of, of Formula One. And yeah, the um, we also do Formula E, IndyCar, as you know, and a bit of uh, gaming and uh, esports. So we've been really lucky to to have the support that we've had since we since we started in 2020. And if uh, 2021 is anything to go by, the numbers that we uh, have seen on the website, including IndyCar, then 2022 is going to be a, an extremely strong year. And we're, we're lucky to have people like you along for the ride. Kerb, uh, you see any parallels here in that their F1 side is doing really well? <laughs> no, no comment. No comment. Okay, yeah. But, but, um, but I, am, I am curious, Jack, how, how's IndyCar doing? I mean, the race.com is a European centric, I think, isn't it? Well, I signed up thinking that at least initially a lot of our audience was going to be um, European centric. But actually, our audience is uh, more US based for, for our IndyCar content, which is fantastic. And that includes uh, our own podcast that we do with uh, J.I. Hildebrand after each race. Actually, we're seeing a really strong uh, American readership from, from Formula One as well. So, uh, yeah, I was going to mention uh, you are doing the podcast with uh, JR and that seems to be going well for you. Uh, um, how did you uh, hook JR into uh, doing that? <laughs> yeah, caught a big fish with him, haven't I? Um, he, he's a he's a fantastic person to have on a podcast, just because obviously he brings all of the knowledge from from behind the wheel and, and competing regularly. Um, 
I won't mention how many years because you might feel like I'm trying to call him old, but um, uh, a good while now. And yeah, he's his insight, you know, whether it be from the, the mechanical side of things or, or just from his paddock insight, the people he knows, and even his knowledge of the, the kind of road car side of things as well. And uh, just his general kind of automotive knowledge is, is phenomenal. So quite keen to get a podcast going for 2020, really, but it just didn't all quite come together how we really wanted it to. And we didn't really have the, the right personnel in place. But once we um, got talking to JR and it was clear that he was willing to come on board for, for 2021 it was it was an obvious person to kind of go after and, and hope that we could uh, persuade him into coming on and I, I'm really happy with how the the podcast went last year um you know interested to hear what what you guys thought of it but um yeah it was nice to offer something slightly different in the sense of we did quite a lot of race breakdowns and and kind of did a lot of episodes immediately after races to, to try and kind of uh, analyze and break things down which was which out. was fun I mean, JR's, uh, Kirby and I have uh, discussed uh, JR several times on our podcast. Um, I mean, it's a, kind of a fascinating guy in, in, the, in the IndyCar world. If just one other thing had gone slightly different in his life, you, who knows what career path uh, or what trajectory his career would have gone on for that one fateful last lap in Indy, right? For sure. But it's it's great that he's, you know, he's at peace with, with everything that he's achieved. And, you know, he's not one of these people who sat there complaining that things haven't gone his way. He, you know, he believes he's, um, you know, he's lucky to, to get to where, not lucky because he's put the work in, but, you know, he's he's had some breaks and he's really just happy with, you know, the support that he's had and, and what he's been able to, to achieve in his career. So I, I love speaking to people like that. You know, you can get people who, are really bitter that you know everything hasn't gone absolutely perfect for them and jr is definitely not one of those people yeah i think the great the great thing about hildebrand is that he's got so much going for him outside of the car right i mean i'm sure that i'm sure that makes it easier to accept uh uh, his results and the bad break he got there because he's really a sharp guy with a lot going on yeah for sure is you only have to look at his education and you know his upbringing and and things like that to see um you know what he brings to the table outside of the car and yeah he's uh everything everything comes particularly easy with with him on board jack um let's get right to it what who's your favorite going into uh to this year oh kick me between the legs with the first question why don't you yeah you gotta uh, you gotta get yeah get get straight to it here i'm gonna have to take a breath now and and have a think about that one Uh, to be honest coming on a coming on an indycar podcast talking about the 2022 season i should have assumed that was going to be one of the questions but i thought you'd caress me into that one as opposed to just no uh, there's no time for caressing here i i gotta go to work yeah um (laughs) i'm gonna go uh put me on the spot i'll go scott dixon wow what a what a bold move curb Jack's really putting it out there, isn't he? <laughs> well, given uh, given last year, um, I think I have put it out there a little bit. But I think um, if it wasn't for Indy um, and the result that he had there, and, and also the fact that Indy is double points, which um, anyone who's listened to my to, to the races podcast will know that I dislike intensely. You know, Scott's average finish was I think point one worse than than Alex Pillow, but he finished so far behind in, in the championship. I think when it comes to actual uh, race performances, Scott wasn't that far off last year, and Joseph Newgarden will be in a similar boat. Um, obviously, quite a lot going on behind the scenes in that team. Uh, his his average finish was actually better than Alex Pillow's, depending on which decimal point you you uh, divided with there. But um, yeah, he's uh, he's another one I expect to use last season as a a big motivational tool to to come back this year even stronger. Yeah, New Garden's my pick. Uh, Curb, what about you? Where where are you at this uh, at this point? New Garden was my pick, um, and just for the sake of being different, I'll um, I'm gonna go with Colton Herta. Same same story for all three of these guys, I guess. If they can uh, minimize their low points during the season and and make sure they're competitive in the 500, then they all all three of them should be fighting tooth and nail for that. I think. Well, uh, I don't think any of us would have picked uh, Pillow at last year at this time last year, right? No, Absolutely not. 
and uh, we're probably in trouble for sleeping on him again this year. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> he does seem to have the right mentality. One of the guys we haven't mentioned in in this, uh, and I, I was curious, uh, Jack, I was going to ask you about him, is is Pato Award and his F1 ambitions. What do you uh, what do you make of all that? I mean, is there is there just smoke or is there some fire there? I think there's some fire there, just based off how much obviously Zach Brown rates Pato Award, and Zach would have to persuade Andre Seidel into taking Pato on as well. But I think there's a a real initial appreciation from Zach Brown at, at Pato's abilities. I think we've seen him, you know, kind of compare him to Juan Pablo Montoya, which depending on how you rate Juan Pablo Montoya, and in, in in my book, that is extremely high for for Zach Brown to kind of compare him in in ways to to Juan Pablo is a, a massive sign of how much he rates Pato. So I think uh, there's definitely a push within F1 to to want an American driver and to want drivers from North America like Pato from Mexico as well. I think there's that, um, you know, that push to have sponsors and drivers coming from that direction. The, the problem is uh, they're not all going to do it out of their own, out of the good of their heart. There's got to be something in it for these people. I think there needs to be more on Formula One's end to try and encourage uh, an American driver and a, an American team. Uh, if, if they really want it and they're, they're, they're desperate for it, then they need to, uh, in my opinion, do a bit more work to Pato, I think, has proven that he's got the ability, the, the natural driving ability to at least have a shot to impress McLaren in terms of taking him on. I think there's a lot of complexities there over the F1 driver market. What Daniel Ricciardo does, if he has a, a strong season in 2022, then that makes Pato's chances of a move to McLaren a lot less likely, in, in my opinion, because there's not anywhere to fit him in, really, unless someone comes in and tries to, to poach Lando Norris. You're getting into silly season kind of discussions for, for a year and two years' time, which is which is obviously quite difficult. But is it smoke or is it uh, is it fire? I'm not really sure. I think there's, defi- there's definitely intent from Pato's side that he's interested, and I think McLaren are definitely keen to evaluate him if they have a seat open which is the the kind of big variable here is whether a seat actually opens the battle or not and in the meantime the there is an american team in f1 and they show zero interest in putting an american driver in the seat <laughs> yeah um, but i think i think that plays into the uh, you know what i was saying i, I think financially formula one is going to have to do something to encourage this because haas aren't going to put an american driver in their car out of the goodness of their heart they're going to put an american driver in there because they feel like that driver is um you know a better option than anything else they have on the table at that time and it's quite difficult for for teams like haas to take a a big risk like that i know you know in my opinion there's quite a few drivers in in indycar who are good enough to make that switch but they're coming up against drivers like let's say Oscar Piastri for example uh, the Formula 2 champion who's just raced on all the same circuits that F1 has done been part of a a Formula One team in his junior role for for quite a number of years and has seen the inner workings of how a Formula One team works knows some of the personnel and the staff and and has used the the extremely tricky to manage Pirelli tyres for, for a number of years as well and that's a, a whole load of advantage that, that these drivers coming through Formula 3 and Formula 2 have over a driver making the jump from IndyCar you know sure you know the IndyCar drivers have the, the natural driving ability and, and and that side of things but there's there's quite a few drivers in Europe who've got the natural driving ability to, to race in Formula 1 it's the rest of the package that they haven't been able to put together. McLaren is a big enough team that they can afford to take their time and evaluate Pato and, and work out exactly whether he's ready whereas someone like Haas needs to put someone in the car and you know hope that they can um, you know deliver extremely good results immediately or they put someone in the car 
you know, for uh, for budgetary reasons or to contribute towards the budget of the whole team. So it's uh, are you it's implying that one of the uh, members of the Haas team was brought in solely for budgetary reasons? Uh, no, Jack? is that what, no, you, is that no, what you're abs- saying? Absolutely not. Absolutely okay. not. All, all no, I'm saying is that yeah. some drivers are chosen to to contribute towards the you know the the finances of the team. <laughs> right. Right. I was going to ask you about Oscar. I was going to actually ask you about him. Um, he uh, seems to be like the second coming. Is that? Uh, do you think that's worthy praise of him? Do you think he's the real deal? There's a tendency in Europe, I think, to to get very excited about the Formula Two champion, whoever it is, and and whatever they've done. But in this case, I think Oscar is definitely, you know, should be in a Formula One seat. Really, if if uh, things were all equal and, and things were easy, and you could just cherry pick the the drivers that you wanted to put in, you know, I think everyone would have Oscar on their on their list of drivers. So, you know, these things always come down to circumstance. Same in IndyCar, you know, there's certain you know opportunities open up to certain people and certain opportunities opportunities that don't. And you know, I think Oscar is definitely good enough to be on the Formula One grid. I think he's proven that over over the last two years at least. Where does he end up? I mean what I mean what's uh what's the natural path for him? I forget who he's who he's driving for now. Is is he part of Renault? Is do I have that right or uh... Yeah, yeah, it's with the it's with Alpine. So he would yeah. you know theoretically he would spend a year now embedding himself in the team and then I, I guess he waits for, for Fernando Alonso to to decide when he retires and, and take up the seat there or, or another seat opens up and he, he makes the move but he deserves his chance if the, the fuss is to be believed about the previous F2 champions that we've seen and many of them have gone into Formula 1 then I think it's only fair that, that Oscar should be there as well definitely unfortunate that that he's not there and I was kind of hoping that he would maybe come over and do some IndyCar but I don't think that's going to happen unfortunately but that would have been uh, quite cool to see. Yeah, for sure. What European drivers, aside from Oscar, uh, F2 drivers, or, or you know, can it can even be broader than that? Which ones do you think should be over here? And I mean, obviously, we're going to see quite a few this year. Which ones do you think should be over here? It's interesting, isn't it? It's it's a really cool kind of situation we've got at the minute, where uh, drivers in Europe are starting to take IndyCar much more seriously from a even from a junior level. And, you know, some people will argue that likes of Christian Lungard and, and Callum Milo have come over because their Formula One aspirations have stalled. But they, 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 they could have stuck at it and, and stayed where they were and they've decided to, to, to up sticks and come to IndyCar. Callum especially has, has, has taken a, a big leap there to sign a, uh, the deal with Hunkos. So that will be interesting to watch over the next couple of years to see if this continues and if people start to, you know, jump over to IndyCar a bit sooner than they have done. Yeah, I've been really excited to see some of the drivers that, that IndyCar has been able to persuade over say IndyCar you know in in the general terms the the teams have been able to to persuade over you know to see Nico Hulkenberg come over was was really interesting for me because I think if you were you know going to draw up a driver who would be perfect to to kind of manhandle an IndyCar then Nico Hulkenberg would be quite high on that list in terms of the skills that he has he likes to drive a car that way and I think his skills would would definitely suit the the kind of oversteer nature of the the current indie cars but obviously that's not going to happen now which is a bit sad uh, it's it's difficult to pick one driver i think there's just so many out there who i'd love to see you know come over and, and make that switch because the 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 great thing about the car at the minute is it rewards a proper driver who can take it by the the scruff of the neck you know you mentioned colton her being the the kind of favorite for the for the championship this year and what we've seen him do dominate weekends where he, you know he takes that car by the scruff of the neck and, and throws it at walls and in different directions and some drivers in europe who uh, maybe used to maybe more of a, a more neutral car to come over and, and handle this beast would be uh, really cool to see of the of the new group of uh euros coming to indy uh indy car this year i mean which one do you think is going to stand out i think christian lungard has the best combination of 
of driving talent and team behind him to right. to really take the rookie of the year title. I think we can take a, take his performance last year at Indy um, on the road course with a pinch of salt because that is a track that's lent itself to to drivers who have a European upbringing and have, have tended to do you know extremely well there. But what we learned from that race was that he was uh, going to be someone who could turn up and, and do an extremely good job, and that's you know makes him. Um, a really nice proposition for Ray Hall for the season because they know wherever they're going to go, he's going to uh, approach it in a in a bit of a unique way. And he even taught Takuma and, and Graham quite a bit about the the Indianapolis circuit just based off the the data in in the debris from from that race. So what he was able to do as a package there, both his performance on track and what he was able to interpret from the data, was a big reason why Ray Hall decided to take him on. And I think he'll be uh, I think he'll be a nice option for them for for this season. I think Callum Eilat. If you made me say who's the best driver of that kind of uh, of that group, I think Callum is, and 18 months doing development work for for Ferrari is uh, really going to help out Hunkos in you know honing their car in in the right direction. And we know how good an engineer Ricardo Hunkos is, but I think Callum's going to be the driver that can really help feedback that from the car. And so nice to see a driver taking that kind of. Um, you know that Oscar Piastri gap, let's say that that Callum's had, where he's you know he's not gone to F1 like he expected, didn't really have a let's say like an elite drive lined up and and had to let's say settle for the for the kind of testing gig, but he's turned that into an advantage. You know a driver who's like many other junior drivers out there has driven spec chassis, single make championships for for many many years, and then you know uses this 18 months to to learn how to develop a car and a lot of that will be very helpful in IndyCar I know IndyCar is a spec chassis but all of the stuff that's going on behind the scenes with the dampers and in that sense it's definitely not a spec championship so I think Callum will be a, a really big uh, pull for for Hunkos and yeah I think what you don't want to see is is that uh, operation just kind of be underfunded and constantly struggling kind of like what we've seen with Carlin here and uh, and nobody gets anywhere that would be a shame yeah for sure and, and brad hollinger coming on board the you know the one of the he's been a board member at williams before and and will definitely help open some of those doors for for Uncos, i think and help that operation i think ricardo was very keen not to come back to indycar full-time unless the operation was uh funded and planned and uh you know going in the right direction that he wanted to see but i think he was very keen to make sure that this time you know when he came back that it was going to be for for the long haul and that's uh I think the fact that he's decided that this is the time for that is, you know, will give people who are fans of Funkos or, or Callum, um, you know, a lot of positivity going into the season. Jack, is Formula E in trouble? <laughs> You'll have to get our Formula E correspondent, Sam Smith, on to come and have a chat. Sniffer will come and uh, talk about that with you. I think, uh, in my opinion, uh, talking more generally, because I can only really talk about Formula E as a, a fan and with a, a limited kind of inside knowledge of, of what's going on, but championships that attract big manufacturers are cyclical you know these big manufacturers get excited about the the rules or or whatever it is that that brings them in and then when they're not winning every championship or they're not winning every race or they decide that the 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 pr aspect or the the marketing aspect is not not fulfilling um its value anymore after after a few years or however long that is then they tend to to find something else and and move on so i don't think it's in trouble because it's got i think it's till 2030 they've got the electric license haven't they the the exclusive use of uh, single seater electric um powertrains um as long as they've got that you know that's a a great thing to have in the back pocket um but yeah, I, I think it's, in my opinion, it's just cyclical. I think any championship has this. We see it with sports cars all the time where you'd say quite a dry spell in terms of manufacturers doing the top level of, of sports cars over the past few years. But now we've got this 
LMDH and hypercar rules coming in. We've got, you know, a, a, a ton of manufacturers coming in and we might get to to almost double figures in, in, in top level manufacturers in sports car racing, which will be phenomenal. But I'm sure that'll only last for, for five to 10 years right. and then we'll get a, a similar situation where they, they start to move on and do other things. So, yeah, I think motorsport's cyclical and I think almost every championship is cyclical to a certain extent. That's interesting. So you're kind of equating it to like the sports car racing and Formula E, I think. And I think that's probably apt where, you know, people want to win. And, you know, in, in IMSA, it's relatively simple. You just kind of change the bounce power things and <laughs> you can make somebody win. Um, and that seems to be what they do. But a little harder in Formula E, I guess, to do that. Every year they're refining something or, or changing something and, and looking to, you know, extend the technology. Because that's another thing with Formula E. I think people under, underestimate how much work they've had to do with a new technology. And there is um, work to do for the for the future and, and, and sort of stabilizing the, the loss of manufacturers in that championship. But everything I've seen has, has been, you know, relatively positive. I know it's never good to lose uh, manufacturers, but they've got Maserati coming in and uh, there still seems to be, you know, interest and, and people behind the scenes look, always looking at the championship and evaluating it. So as long as that's happening, you know, you, you, you're doing something relatively right. Have you ever been to a Formula E race? Yes, I have. Yes, I've been to a couple, actually. Um, I went to the yeah. London one as well. Yeah. I really enjoyed yeah. it actually. I think really? the I, I went to the I think it was the twenty sixteen race, the, the Battersea Park one, and what was quite disappointed about that was the the size of the barriers made you feel like you could have been picked up and taken out of Battersea Park and put anywhere in the world and you wouldn't really know where you were because you're not seeing any of the greenery or you're not seeing any of the you know, the actual surroundings. But when you look at some of the other tracks like the the Paris one, you actually see the Eiffel Tower in the background and, and things like that, which is quite cool. The noise, you know, for someone who is a fundamentally you know, a, a motorsport fan and remembers, I don't remember the exact time I smelt the fuel and the, and the burning rubber and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's something you kind of associate with your first experience of motorsport, isn't it? And uh, I think everyone remembers that that first experience of being in a paddock and all the smells and the sights and the sounds. So fundamentally, Formula E is quite problematic for that. The tracks are quite underrated in the sense that many of them have created some really good racing. Um, it's always wheel to wheel racing and the drivers are at such a high standard for for a single championship that um, it's it's almost always entertaining to a certain extent. The problem for me maybe is the sound and that the cars aren't really yet fast enough. Yeah, to be honest, I I, I think it's um, and I know you're probably looking for the positive aspect. You're probably uh, looking for me to say something controversial, but I quite uh, maybe it's quite <laughs> controversial to say that I did enjoy it. But, um, yeah, wow, what a I, scathing uh, you know comment to you and I curb. Yeah, sorry. I've just really, I just wow. really have enjoyed Formula E since since it started, pretty much, just because of the the level of drivers and and the fact that you know so many people say let's uh, let's put all the drivers in the same car, let's put them in like a rental and um, just watch them a uh, Days of Thunder type thing and just uh, you know smash each other to bits and um, you know whoever wins is is the best driver kind of thing and you know Formula E isn't quite that bad, but it's what it has done is taken the speeds down massively to what all these drivers are used to put them on road tires and and taken a lot of the at least initially the first few years of Formula E especially taken a lot of the the kind of variants of the teams out of it and and put them up against each other and I really enjoyed that I I felt like that was as close as you were going to get to you know putting all the drivers in a rental and see what would happen it's difficult it's it's like any championship it's got its flaws but for me I think it gets a lot of unfair criticism well clearly you haven't seen the SRX series Jack (laughs) um which is clearly the pinnacle of you know just let them have a go Right. To be fair, that then, that was then, that series was fantastic, and to see that kind of come out of the the woodwork, and you know Ray Evanham, fair play for for what he was able to create there with the cars, and 
yeah, that was uh, I really enjoyed that championship last year, actually, I've got to say. And yeah, I think you're right to point out that's probably a bit close to the to the rental uh, fights <laughs> that I was talking about, to be honest. Yeah, you're probably right. I thought it was awesome, actually. <laughs> I mean, it's something to watch on fast forward. I don't know if you can watch the whole race, but it was pretty entertaining from my standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was I've got I've got loads of time for for people coming up with new ideas like that and new championships and, and giving it a go and experimenting. And to be fair, that that's another championship that achieved a lot in its first year and uh, really excited to see where they where they take that and where they go with it and how they how they develop it now because they, they did so much in the first year, had so many great drivers. I think the it looked like from what I saw the the T V package was good and they had the right people involved with it, the right presenters, the the right media covering it, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I'm excited to see where that goes and Sorry, Curb, they got to get Tracy and Bourdais in the same race in one of those races. <laughs> just got to. Well, Bourdais should be available this year, at least one or two nights of the series. So, And that'd be a perfect example, I think. They just need to continue not to take themselves too seriously. Jack, one of the things that happened in the offseason that I you know, I have my eyebrow uh, firmly raised over is uh, Kirkwood going to Foyt. I, I know he had limited options, but do you believe that was a good move for him? I mean, it, it seems to me that that has potential for disaster. I think it's a risky move for sure. And I've spoken about this quite a bit now and written about it quite a lot as well. And um, I've got nothing against the, the AJ Foyt team. Uh, I love Super Techs and hearing the stories about what he was able to to do back in the day. And, you know, got a lot of respect for, for everything he's been able to achieve. It's just unfortunately a fact that his IndyCar team has, has not been successful in, in recent years. I think Kyle had some options on the table, but I think the, the whole Andretti not buying a Formula One team and taking Colton out there really hurt his chances because the the De Francesco deal was already pretty much done. It's just one of those musical seat situations that we see in motorsport quite often where there was nothing at the there was no room left at the inn for Kirkwood and uh, he had to evaluate his other options. Whether Foyt was the right one, I'm not entirely sure, but I think Foyt have done well to get him. They've um, you know historically, at least in recent years, have gone for a, a veteran lead driver to try and you know, spearhead their ambitions and it's not really worked out in, in the way that they'd hoped. So maybe bringing in a rookie with fresh ideas is, is going to be, um, you know, it's like a case of trying, trying what you've not tried, isn't it? And, and uh, you know, throwing stuff at the wall and see what will stick, you know, maybe Kirkwood's got some, some cool ideas that are really going to help to revolutionize this team. But in, in my opinion, if Justin Taylor and Sebastian Bourdais couldn't, you know, turn this team into a regular top five, top 10 team, then, they're going to find it really difficult. And yeah, I think there's still some question marks over who Kirkwood's going to be working with and, and stuff like that behind the scenes, at least publicly anyway. So this deal was all about having a full a full year of learning the championship before getting a bit involved in the in the 2023 silly season market with it seems like going to be quite a few seats are going to be on the table there. So he, he does need to have a good season. It is, I think you're right. It's, it's, it's an eyebrow raising move and a bit of a risk on, on his behalf, especially if he believes some of the rumours about what his other options were and potentially Aaron McLaren SP being an option for him. It looked like it was going to be a part-time one potentially. So whether that's true and he's turned that down, that would be quite unusual. But, you know, I see what he's doing. He wanted a full-time gig to to really learn about IndyCar, to, to bed himself in, to to be ready for 2023 when hopefully one of the big teams comes calling for him. Do you think there's um, concern for drivers like Kirkwood, the AMSP car is getting a reputation for being difficult to drive? I think it's possible that people think that when they're considering going there. But for me, I think the positives outweigh the negatives. Uh, I know Felix had a, a terrible season last year and he'll be the, the first to admit that, um, you know, coming into the team, 
was extremely difficult for him in the sense of, you know, they couldn't just bring his Ganassi setups with him and put them on the car because it doesn't work like that. The Aaron McLaren SP team has its own philosophy, its own setup direction and its own, you know, damper technology and, and all that kind of stuff. And the problem when you move teams and you've got four test days like Felix had last year before the season starts, you've really not got a lot of time to, to hone in and, and work on those things. And it takes time in the wind tunnel. It takes time on the shaker rig. It takes time, you know, to 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 change these setups. You know, Felix has, has struggled in that sense. But I think other drivers looking at it, in my opinion, would see the positives over the negatives in the sense of, you know, it's very clear where this operation is going. It's got a lot of resources. It's got a unusual setup where they've got this team working back in Woking, um, analysing the data and stuff like that. Obviously, they've got the Formula One connection and they've got some extremely reputable personnel in there even before McLaren came along and, and they've only added to that. I think Gavin Ward is the absolute perfect person for, for them to bring in to, to be their kind of technical technical director or whatever it is they're going to call him when uh, he gets his title. There's a lot of positivity going on behind the scenes there at our McLaren SP and, and while the difficulty to drive the car is is an issue, I think the the positives of the long term project there outweigh that. We've got to remember they've only had they've only had two seasons of of McLaren input, and you know last year they they were second in the championship for most of the year until you know the the last race and achieved a lot with at least with Patos. You uh you mentioned Gavin Ward, uh, and I think you've written a couple of articles about Gavin Ward. You obviously rate him. Can you elaborate a little bit on that and what you think he's going to bring? Yeah, of course. Yeah, Gavin's um Gavin's a Canadian who who went to university here in the UK and. He saw uh, an advert on the Arrows Formula One website to come over and study in, in England, and that's what he uh, elected to do. And then got some uh, got some gap year work experience. It was supposed to be with Jaguar, but by the time he actually turned up to do it, it, it changed to Red Bull at that point. There, they they were so happy with him in his pl- kind of placement year that they paid for his last year of university and uh, took him onto the team immediately after he'd finished. And he started in electronic systems when teams still wrote their own electronic systems not like now where they're using kind of spec um, spec parts so um, went on to race engineer for Mark Webber and Daniel Ricciardo and then after that decided he wanted to go into an aerodynamic role and designed some of the most complicated Formula 1 front wings for you know reporting directly to Adrian Newey so anyone who's got that CV um, is, is going to be attractive but not just as he achieved that he then Obviously, came to Penske, um, won it, won the championship at his first attempt with with Joseph, and the only thing lacking for him in IndyCar is to win the Indy 500 now. And he's a big fan of the the Triple Crown, so he's won Monaco as a Formula One race engineer. Next on the list is uh, to win the 500, which he's very um, very keen to do and very motivated by. And then uh, I guess at some point he'll head to Le Mans and try and win the the, five, the, the 24 hours uh, sure. of Le Mans as well. So pretty cool guy, one of those people who you just when you see what he's done and it's very clear you know the 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 level of uh, expertise he's bringing to the table and uh, also it helps that you know he's just a massive fan of motorsport and someone who really enjoys what he does so those kind of people are always fun to talk to and you alluded to me writing about Gavin I'd written a feature recently about how I thought he was ideal for them because he can come in in that technical director role and really help to tie this team up he's just got knowledge of every aspect of of a car and how it works and there's not many people out there who have his experience in all these different areas whether it's just pure engineering race race engineering or, or whether it's aerodynamics or whether it's electronics or or whatever he's done it at the highest level so it seems surprising to um penske to let somebody that talented get away do you have any idea what motivated him to leave penske and go to clear I, I gavin's not told me directly why why this decision was made and, and stuff like that but you know um, i think that you're, you're surprised in in talking about this sort of shows how infrequent it is that people leave Penske um, from positions as significant as as 
what Gavin was in. So maybe some people would describe this as kind of like a pivotal shift where people are really taking Aaron McLaren SP seriously, what they've been able to, to, to do so far and what they've been able to achieve, but also the people they're bringing on board and the the momentum that they have. You know, you could argue that, that someone like Gavin going from Penske to, to McLaren kind of proves, you know, how highly Aaron McLaren SP is currently rated by the, the IndyCar paddock. And for me, it's, um, you know, it's kind of fun to see we're getting this break away from what has historically been the, the big three for, for so long now, um, Andretti, Ganassi and Penske. And we're getting Ray Hall and, and Aaron McLaren SP coming into that conversation now and, and kind of making it a big five, I think. So while there's obviously clearly still um, a bit of a gulf between the top teams and the, the teams further back, it's, it's it, it definitely feels like the, the gap is uh, smaller, especially on uh, single days where some of the smaller teams can, can achieve really big things. Sure. Seems like Shank might be on the way as well at some point. Yeah, for sure. We saw obviously won the Indy 500, so it doesn't get much better than that, does it really? And um, you know, they people will say, well, they're just getting Andretti cars and Andretti engineers, and uh, you know that is true to a certain extent. But the you know the Andretti didn't do the strategy for the Indy 500. Uh, they didn't drive the car either, help, and I don't think they'd be where they are now without without the support of Andretti and what they've been able to to bring. But the you know what they were able to do at the 500 was just as much credit to them as it was to, to Andretti in my opinion so that was really cool to see and you know Helio and Simon in a you know in debriefs every week with Colton Alex and, and Roman and Devlin so that's going to be um, you know just by nature of the the strength of that driving lineup it's going to be tough to manage and that's going to be interesting to see how they all bond together and how they help to, to push these two teams forward uh, over 2022 I think that's going to be a big story and it'll be really interesting to see whether it's uh, whether it all goes well or whether the the wheels come off that one a little bit Kirby uh, I am down to my last question for Jack do you have any you want to throw in there well Jack mentioned um, he sees a, a big five in uh, IndyCar going forward with the uh, inclusion of uh, Ray Hall Letterman Letterman Lanigan but you, I think, Jack, you were a little bit critical of the driver lineup in one of your recent articles. I guess my question reading your, your articles was, do you think that Lungard and Harvey can help Ray Hall with this qualifying? Yeah, I think definitely they'll, they'll, they'll both help with the qualifying for sure. And I don't but know if they, I'm... Can they, can they help Graham with this qualifying? Yeah, yeah, I think they can. Uh, okay. I, I think, you know, what I alluded to a bit earlier on with, with what Christian was able to do at Indianapolis when he came in and was, you know, I'll, I'll paraphrase carefully here because Christian was very keen to point out that he wasn't criticising Graham or Takuma, but he was kind of <laughs> like, all right, I've qualified fourth. Was a bit surprised that Graham and Takuma weren't there with him because he felt that the car was really good and he was even disappointed after that qualifying that he, he wasn't higher up, even though he just qualified fourth on his on his IndyCar debut. So it transpired afterwards that Christian was doing something a bit different with his driving style and he passed that on to, to Graham and Takuma and that really helped them out. And I think that's a sign of what Christian and Jack can can help Graham with. You know, that being said, I think Graham had a, a really brilliant season last year, in, in my opinion. I know he didn't win a race and that's going to be the thing that, that people are, are constantly kind of beating him with a stick for. I felt like there was a lot of bad luck earlier in the year where things were taken out of his hands. And yes, they a lot of them weren't race winning results, but they were top fives that would have put him closer in the championship picture than he than he ended up being so and he stepped up his average finish by four places i think last year which wasn't something that i read about very often or or heard about from so the the car seemed to be there it just doesn't seem to be there in qualifying for some reason yeah exactly and i think you know jack if jack's done anything well in indycar uh, especially in in 2020 it's it's qualify so he's uh you know obviously got some experience of that um they had to sign two people and they've signed two very good drivers i think the the thing maybe I was a little bit sort of 
trying to suggest with the article that I wrote is that the one thing that Ray Hall didn't manage to do last year that all the other top teams around it did was win. Sure. I don't know if signing a rookie driver from Europe and a driver who, you know, has, has, has honestly already been in uh, full-time competition in IndyCar for two seasons, but also hasn't won a race was, was the right direction for them to go. But hopefully, um, you know, some of the things that I've pointed to in the article kind of show that while I'm not totally convinced that, that it is going to be, uh, you know, multiple winning team this year, uh, I think there's definitely uh, positives that they bring, like Christian with what he'd noticed in the data and his, his driving style. I think Jack obviously brings a lot of knowledge of the the Andretti sort of organisation from within his within his job at, at Myershank Racing and obviously historically has been a good qualifier, although 20, 2021 was not a good year for him qualifying-wise. But I really rate Graham, Christian and Jack really highly and um, I think while it might not be the perfect lineup or that they might not have addressed their their needs exactly as what they might be on paper, I think the, that what those three can achieve if they compete to their absolute maximum is, um, you know, they, they could have a really, really strong season and the, the team is just going from strength to strength with the, the new factory that they'll have later this year year in in Zionsville I think it is and sure. they'll also um they'll also have the the BMW LMDH uh, top level factory program to look after in, in IMSA in 2023 as well so there's a there's a lot to like about that organization I just think there's still a few question marks but to be honest I could I could do that with pretty much every lineup in in <laughs> in IndyCar in 2022 I don't think any of them are perfect but I was just thinking since we were talking about Jack Harvey so much I just was hoping that you could resolve a uh dispute curb and i had on our last podcast does jack harvey make more or less than three hundred thousand dollars a year <laughs> <laughs> i've not seen his paycheck i don't know the answer to that wow i, I, I figure there's only two reasons two possible reasons for him to leave shank to go to to ray hall and one would be money and two would be uh, better strategy calls so i'm not sure which one it is but it's gotta be one of those two i think also um you know, Jack may have had his doubts over, you know, where his future lay with that team or, or whether he was, you know, if, if the ultimate goal for someone racing for Maya Shank Racing uh, as a young driver would be to get to Andretti. Maybe he had a feeling that, uh, you know, Andretti wasn't going to be somewhere that he was going to get a drive in the future or, or something like that. I don't really know um, from, from what he says. He was just really, um, you know, attracted by the, the momentum at, at Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan at the moment in the both in terms of their IndyCar performances and in the the general kind of uh, team itself and what they're building there. So is it a 50-50 move or a 60-40 move? I'm not really sure. It's, it's difficult to sum up, isn't it? But both teams have got a lot going for them in Maya Shank Racing and, and Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan Racing. And I think any driver, fundamentally, any driver who leaves the team that's just won the Indy 500 to, to go to a different team is is making a big decision and one that will be you know scrutinised um, extremely um, closely. So uh, Christian Lundgaard does not seem to lack for confidence. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's something he's never struggled with, and uh, he's always positive to the point where he annoys his uh, his family and his girlfriend. You know, whatever kind of pressure he's under, he's uh, he's always uh, fighting back against that in his head and and, and turning that into um, you know something that's a positive for him. So, I think the the counterpoint to that would be okay. So, does he not realise that he's got weaknesses? But I think he also acknowledges that he does have weaknesses as well and that he knows how to work on them. And one of the biggest things he's got to get over is just a different style of racing. Like he's grown up in this, you know, this Alpine junior Academy where they support F1 races. Uh, he'll be very regimented in that his media is at a certain time. He has to go to a certain, you know, he has to go to a track walk at a certain time. He has to do, um, you know, all these things to a, a regimented schedule. Whereas I think, you know, obviously there is a schedule in IndyCar, but I think it's more laid back compared to, to what he's used to. And Well, I just know that, 
it seems like Graham has always favored uh, teammates like Oriol Serbia and Takuma Sato, the more of the quiet uh, background types. If a Christian Lungard's out qualifying him frequently and, and speaking as uh, confidently as he has so far, I just I think it'll be an interesting dynamic to watch those three as teammates next year. I think it's a definitely an interesting dynamic. You know, the, I think Jack and Christian have both come in and said, well, you know, we're not going to necessarily drive with exactly the same setup as Graham has. If it doesn't work for us, you know, we're going to do, you know, what's best for us. But I think there's a, I think there's a, an acknowledgement of what Graham said last year. And, and I think they're all keen to pull in the same direction and try and at least try and, you know, kind of have a similar car where, you know, if you believe what Graham says, then he's got no involvement in the driver decision making or who his teammates are going to be. So, you know, whether that's true or not, I, I don't know. But um, he, you know, he said he had no role in, in Jack being chosen or, or anything like that. Um, to take a maybe a more of a, I don't know if pragmatic is the right word, but if you, you could choose to take a different look at it and say, well, things haven't been working ideally for Graham because he's not won races and that's what he wants to do. So maybe he's willing to to have these people come in now and shake things up and, and offer a fresh perspective because it's the only way he's going to, you know, return to that, that form we've seen him have in the past. And if that's the case, then I think that's a really admirable approach that he's taken. And I think he, if it turns out at the end of the year, that that's what's happened. then I think he'll deserve a lot of credit for it. All right. Well, I think it's time to wrap it up. I got one final question for you, Jack, and that is any insights onto the last missing piece of the 2022 lineup. And that is, uh, ECR's, uh, driver uh, i i gotta think connor daly's favorite to, to take that seat now um right. well, and i are in the uh, rhr camp yeah it'd be nice to see it'd be nice to see ryan in there and i can see them for sure i can see them trying to put something together for the 500 it's my opinion um that, that connor will be in that car but we'll just have to wait and see um he's obviously competing at the chili bowl so i don't know if there'll be any sort of uh, announcement this week or maybe um i've got it completely wrong and it will be at rhr and you guys can invite me back on to lambast me for my lack of knowledge <laughs> of what's happening in the indycar series in 2022 well it's been a relatively well-kept secret but uh i didn't think <laughs> I don't know. connor's driving i don't know if it's been year. a relatively kept secret i think it's just been a late decision <laughs> <laughs> maybe yeah and i think right. i think a lot of things have you know, I think the the Air Force deal not coming off for them has really shaken things up and and gave them a, a huge curveball. So, I think things have been delayed and maybe it, it appears like secrecy from the outside, but I think they just genuinely have been trying <laughs> just, to. They, they trying don't to, know. Yeah, yeah <laughs> trying to cross the T's and dot the I's. But um, yeah, it's got to be soon because I think those guys are testing next week. So uh, I imagine uh, we'll we'll hear before testing who the who the driver's going to be. But maybe they'll eke it out a little bit longer and 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 hold off to see what's going on. I know Jack Aitken's still in the wings and in the conversation, but I'm not sure if he's as likely as some people thought he might have been, you know, when he did the test uh, earlier uh, in December. So he's a, he's another one who's in the mix, but maybe, um, maybe not quite, uh, not quite going to get this one over the line. And I think, it, I think it's going to be Connor. Okay. There you go. Hey, can, I, can I throw in one more? You always want to curb. It'll be yeah. quick. In, you always in, the mean, in the meantime, in the meantime, Rome burns as I sit here and fiddle. Uh, <laughs> Toyota. Yes or no. Oh, is that just a pipe dream that won't die or is there something going? I think the I think the problem we have here is that people have conversations with manufacturers, especially now Rogers involved. And he's having these kind of conversations just because he can. And, he, you know, it's from a business aspect. He should be speaking to a lot of these major 
manufacturers but i just think i think toyota sounds like a bit of a pipe dream to me at the moment i don't hear of any um third engine manufacturer being particularly close to to entering the series at the moment or, or close to a deal these things can move quickly and operate behind the scenes and um sneak up and and bite you on the backside so uh it could happen um but but from what i've seen and what i've heard at the moment i think um toyota is a bit of a drum that's being beaten and, and not necessarily something that is uh, particularly likely to happen at this time like i said you know things can things can happen quickly in indycar but you know jack they just they just hired an indycar engineer didn't they well, if they've just hired an IndyCar engineer, that must mean that they're entering IndyCar imminently. And exactly. No, it's just, that was the latest, there's no other only, explanation. That was there's the no other explanation. Fuel, the latest fuel thrown on the fire this week was, was that they'd hired an uh, uh, engineer from one of the IndyCar teams. Herb, you, you and I know are the only you, – you and I know the one person that knows. They. Well, <laughs> well why don't you get there on the podcast? Is, That'd be good. You, oh, can you imagine? <laughs> Be much better yeah. than me anyway. This is, well, if we if we think we're uh, uh, struggling to keep it short and sweet uh, with you on the line, Jack, then we'd really be in trouble <laughs> with with them on the line. So. Oh, it could be very brief, I think, potentially. But uh, wait, wait, anyways. is it them or they? I'm confused now. Who we're it's talking about? It's so confusing to even us. <laughs> so. All right, Jack, uh, are we gonna see you at uh, the 500. You're gonna see me at St. Pete if you're there. Hopefully, um, I was there last year. I don't think I'm gonna make it this year. Indy, Indy might be the uh, yeah the first time we we get to lock horns in public. Um, awesome. So all right, well we look forward to seeing you then and uh, catching up for a couple of libations at that point. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Jack. Appreciate it. And um, thanks everyone for listening. Well, Curb, there you have it. Not much more needs to be said, eh? I mean. Um, uh, interesting some interesting thoughts there uh you know sometimes we get a bit insular in our thinking you and i and it's good to kind of bring some fresh blood in insular you and me um no but uh yeah had fun talking to jack and learning about uh some of these guys coming over from europe in particular as always not enough time actually had a few more questions but we'll save those for next year i guess or all right well as a reminder uh south street diner boston massachusetts mentioned this podcast uh to the owner saul and you will get a generous discount twitter at hero h-i-r-o indycar at hero indycar take care everybody we'll talk to you soon